I'm Marnie Vinge, and this is Erioki. Join me and my friends as we explore the darker side of the Sooner State. I'm Marnie Vinge, and this is Erioki. And I'm here with a really special guest today that I have wanted to have on the have on the podcast for quite some time, um, Chandler Yarrow. That's how you say your last name, right? That's right. Okay. Yep. Okay. And um, I'm going to let Chandler talk a little bit about how we connected because I think it's really important. Yeah. So like Marnie said, my name is Chandler. Um, I am a therapist, mental health therapist. And so I was just listening to the podcast and started following Marnie's social media and um, saw her and heard her talking about um, her struggles with mental health and realized that we both have bipolar disorder and so we both love spooky things and I just felt automatically connected to her through that and so I just reached out and um, just said hey I love what you're doing and I love that Um, You're so open about mental health, and I love your podcast, and I just basically think you're great. So I just fangirled all over her. I slid into her DMs on Instagram, and it was just like a a weird fan. Um, No, it was was so much more than that, though, because the message was so... I... When I opened that message, I ugly cried. Mm -hmm. Like, ugly Oprah Winfrey on her show, like... (laughs) Kim K. Yes. Oh, it was, it was, it was like, I, like, I went and got my mom, and I was like, oh my god, you're not gonna believe this, because it was so, it was, it was a really full circle moment for me, because, um, and I told you about this when, when we messaged back and forth at first, Mm -hmm. um, I am a big fan of Last Podcast on the Left, and when they did the West Memphis 3 episodes, I don't know if that's the first time Marcus had ever mentioned it, but it it felt like it because the way he said it was very vulnerable. Yeah. And he, have you heard those episodes? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he basically came out as bipolar yeah. and talked pretty openly about having bipolar disorder. And I immediately, when I was listening to that, it was like, it was like five in the morning. Cause I was on one of my like writing binges and I would get up at like four or five in the morning, listen to the last podcast on the left and get my coffee and kind of get started for the day and then start writing. And so I was listening to that, painting my nails, <laughs> and I immediately am like, I've got to message him. Like, I yeah. have got to. Because for me, that was such an important thing to see someone with bipolar disorder managing, not only managing their life, but thriving. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for me. So, like, when you wrote to me, that was, like, it was like a full circle kind of, like, I was like, this is exactly why I want to be doing this. Right. So you were my Marcus. That's like exactly how I felt about you. I was like, I have to reach out to her and just say like, this is so important, not only for me on a personal Mm -hmm. level, but for anyone experiencing bipolar or any mental health to see a person, a strong woman, Mm -hmm. a strong woman with bipolar doing something that they love and succeeding and just killing it. It's like it's 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 validating it's relieving it's inspiring and so yeah I just had to tell you like keep doing what you're doing and man I want to you know do more because of you that oh my god that means so much to me like that seriously that means that means so much to me and any of you guys who are out there struggling with any mental health things just keep keep fighting the good fight like it Mm -hmm. does it does get easier and it does get better and like I saw this quote recently Whitney actually sent it to me um, and it said, uh, let's see, see if I can get it right. Um, it said, um, 
it's like healing is healing is one of the most painful things you can ever do, but the other side is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And healing is not linear. That's no, my it's favorite. not. It's, yes, it's all over the place, and it is painful. Oh, it is painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it gets is. worse before it gets better. A yes, lot of times. that is absolutely yeah. true. That is something, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And like, um, but yeah, so I I'm so thrilled to have you here today, mm-hmm. and like I'm thrilled to be here, be doing this, and we had this great conversation before we even started the podcast. We and, are like, kindred spirits. We are. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. Like I'm so excited. So, um, and the other thing that Chandler reached out to me with was this story, and I had seen I had seen the headline on KOCO because I follow all the news stations on Facebook, and they posted the story about this. And when you sent it to me was when I started to look into it, and I was like, whoa. This is cool. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about some American history outside of Oklahoma, as well as an Oklahoma urban legend that has drawn people from as far as Japan and the Netherlands to Enid, Oklahoma. Which Which is is my hometown. That's so awesome. Yeah. And my, I can't take full credit for this. My husband actually said, this is the, this is what you have to tell. Yeah. Like, this is, this is it because it's so cool. But Oh my gosh. Well, kudos to him. Like it's yeah. a great, it's Shout a great one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Shout out. Um, so, and this is the legend that John Wilkes Booth of the infamy of killing Abraham Lincoln died in Enid, Oklahoma at what used to be the Grand Avenue Hotel. Mm-hmm. So have you actually been to the Grand Avenue Hotel or been by it or like seen it? Like, Oh yeah. Okay. So it's on the main square in downtown Enid, which Enid is not big. So mm-hmm. we just have this one downtown area. Um, and it's now a furniture store. Yeah. Um, Garfield Furniture. And, um, I mean, going in that store is, is kind of cool because it's all, um, wood floors. It's Mm. very, it's very old, um, really neat, neat building. I've never been to the place where John Wilkes Booth was there, but yeah, it still exists. Yeah. Yeah. It's like upstairs, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think people can actually go up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the, that's where, in the news article I looked at, that was where the people from Japan and the Netherlands came to Enid to see this room, and I think that's mm-hmm. so fascinating. It's this teeny, tiny yeah, little room. Yeah, it's little. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, like mm-hmm. a bathroom size, but it's yeah. like a little apartment is what yeah. it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you can actually, if you look up the article on KOCO, there's a video, mm-hmm. um, and Abigail Ogle is the one who did the story on that. And you can actually see, like, I think they do a dramatic reenactment in the room of, like, and yeah. so you actually get to see the actual room. Yep. And it is. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. It's so little. Um, so we're going to talk first about some basic history of the Lincoln assassination, because I needed a refresher on this. It had been a minute since I had thought about it. Um, so John Wilkes Booth was born on May 10th, 1838, and according to all official historical records, died on April 26th, 1865, which April 26th is my mom's birthday, so happy early birthday to her, even though that's a long (laughs) ways from now. Um, And he was at the time of his documented death, one of the most famous actors in America, um, which I thought that was really interesting to think about it in terms of that, because he also came from one of the most prominent acting families from Maryland, and they were known as the Booth Theatrical Family. So it's kind of like you think about like um, Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen and Emilio Mm -hmm. Estevez, like a family like that, or the Baldwins, like... And to imagine one of their sons becoming an assassin, like, it it would be, that would be... Assassinating the President of the United States. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, that would be, there would be no Huge other news. headline for a year. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. And that, then him disappearing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it would be, it would be mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, I can, I can totally understand, like, oh my gosh. Um, and Booth was known as a Confederate sympathizer 
And he had originally wanted to kidnap President Lincoln, but he later decided that he wanted to kill him and the Secretary of State, William H. Seward, and Vice President Andrew Johnson. He didn't end up getting to carry through all of that. But um, anyway, even though at the time of Lincoln's death, Robert E. Lee had surrendered four days prior, Booth believed that the war still had a chance of being won because the Confederate General Joseph E. Johnson was still fighting the Union with his army at another location. Um And he planned not only to kill Lincoln, but also those other two men. Um, Seward ended up being wounded badly, but did recover. And Vice President Johnson escaped unscathed. Um, And pretty much everyone knows the story. Lincoln was attending the theater, the Ford Theater. It was Good Friday, April 14th, 1865. And I didn't know this, but General Grant was supposed to attend this showing of our American cousin with him. But he ended up at the last minute saying, no, I'm going to go to New Jersey to see my kids. I've been there and I don't think I, I knew Oh my that. gosh. You've been to the Ford Theater? Yeah. Oh, how cool. It was really cool. That's they amazing. Have the suit that he was shot in on display. Oh, and wow. Stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very eerie, but we're yeah. obviously into that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh yeah. Oh, that would be, oh my gosh. I would love to see that. Um, so at 10.13 p.m., Booth shot Lincoln in the back of the head. Uh, Lincoln was rushed to the Peterson house where he went into a coma for nine hours and died at 722 the next morning. It said this, this is one of my, like the details of this thing that I absolutely loved. And it's that it said after he died, his face relaxed into a smile. And I remember from history classes and I remember just from the recent history that we have experienced, um, Something that my teachers would always talk about is like before and after pictures of presidents. Mm -hmm. And you can even tell a difference on like George W. Bush and Obama. Like if you look at hair. Yes. Yeah. And the wrinkles and like. Imagine how stressful. Oh, my gosh. And imagine if you were managing a country that was at war with itself. With itself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, so I can only imagine how much stress he carried with him all the time. Sure. And um, historians say based on witness accounts of Lincoln's death, that he smiled as he died and that it was the most peaceful he had looked in years. This this absolute serenity overtook his features as death claimed him. And um, one of the saddest details to me was that the last interaction that he and his wife, Mary Todd, had was during the third act of the play. Um, and she took his hand and she remarked about what their guests might think about her, quote, holding on to him so. And he said back to her, um, I believe he said something like, they, they won't mind. Like, basically telling her it was okay for her to hold his hand in front of them. And that was the last thing that they said to each other. That's really so sweet. But yeah. Kind of, I mean. Like, yeah. devastating. Devastating, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And she had all kinds of psychological struggles after his death. Oh, sure. And, I can't imagine how oh, traumatic that was. People were horrible to her after his death is one of the things that I read. And she ended up she ended up in a psychiatric facility for a period of time. Um, so I can't, oh, my gosh. And to imagine what that was probably like then is even scarier. Yeah. Um, so after John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln, he shouted his famous death to tyrants, and he jumped from the balcony that enclosed the seats that the Lincolns were in. He broke his ankle when he landed, which is an important detail of this. And then he escaped the theater. What I think what people don't know that that haven't been to the Ford Theater is mm-hmm. like when we think of theaters now, we think of like the Civic Center or right, something right. that is huge. And while the Ford Theater is good size, it's very small. Yeah. It's not like what we think of. And so him, I mean, everyone saw that obviously jumping on stage, but it right. was like such close proximity. It's amazing yeah. that he 
did this jumped on stage and got away because right. it's, I mean, you're right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't even. The dramatics of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, just that would be so shocking, I think. And maybe that was one of the elements that allowed him to get away was just that people were so oh, sure, yeah. floored by what they had just seen. Um, and according to all the historical accounts, 12 days later, Booth was located in a barn in Virginia. And a man named Sergeant Boston Corbett of the 16th New York Cavalry is the one who shot and killed Booth in the barn. Um, and apparently at the time, there was also a fire in the barn. I don't know if that started as a result of them shooting at him or how that started, but they had to wait for the fire to be put out to get his remains out of the barn. And there was damage to his corpse. And this is where it really gets interesting. So this, the fact that there was damage to his corpse and that, you know, all of that, it prompted doubts and rumors to circulate. And according to an article by Guy Logsdon, on the Oklahoma historical website, that's where that started. Like people were saying, well, maybe it wasn't really him. Maybe it was someone else. And I, I can imagine that because, um, there were, there were people who celebrated Lincoln's death, like really excited that he had been assassinated. And, um, so for some Confederates, Booth would have been considered a hero. So it's likely that a lot of people latched onto this conspiracy theory that Booth wasn't really dead. Um, which is something that people still do, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And I think on the flip side of that, the people who, you know, really loved President mm-hmm. Lincoln and these and these soldiers, obviously being the one to kill mm-hmm. the person who assassinated the president, I mean, imagine the honor oh, that yeah, goes with that. Yeah. So I could see, you know, like, oh, that looks like him. You yeah. know, look what I did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see how that would be very, like, very intoxicating yeah, you, to, you become the hero yes, now exactly mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah i hadn't even thought about that angle of it but yeah so so that's where we're gonna leave that story for the moment and we're gonna flash forward to 1903 enid oklahoma so i i just want to say a little bit about enid at, at this point oh, go for it um enid was kind of had become a railroad hub um at this point and um, it was growing super fast. Now, Enid is not very big now, but at this time, um, there were huge crops, oil, um, the, the railroad, and maybe not oil yet, but um, all of these things really going for Enid. And at the time, it was on track to become bigger than Oklahoma City. Wow. Yeah. And so Enid was a hub. It was the fourth yeah. largest city in the state at the time. And, um, I mean, people were just coming there constantly. Gosh. Oh, that's so, it's so wild to think about, like, how quick history can change and how a place can go from being that significant to, like, everything shifting and, like, other cities becoming more, it's really interesting. It is. Um, so in Enid, in 1903, a man cries out, dying in the Grand Avenue Hotel. And this man is known to everyone around as David E. George. And it turned out that he poisoned himself with arsenic. He'd been at the hotel for three or four weeks. He'd become a regular at some of the bars in town. However, not many people really knew a lot about him. He was kind of like everybody. It was it would be like someone that you see everywhere and everybody knows who they are. But they're like kind of got this mysterious past and nobody's really sure what the real story is there. He's like a drifter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like he'd only yeah, he'd only been there for a little bit and nobody was really sure. Um, so doctor is the one who determined that he'd killed himself with arsenic and soon after his death, they realized that he had purchased the strychnine that he used earlier in the day at a drugstore right there in town. Um, he had a lot of mystery surrounding him. He was supposedly a house painter, but didn't know how to paint. And he always had access to money, but died without any. 
he quoted Shakespeare a lot. And um, he had been quoting it, quoted as saying, which the way I picture him saying this is like he's down in one of these saloons and he's had a lot to drink and he's talking to some people. And, you know, like um, like there's that scene. And have you watched Mindhunter? Yes. OK. You know, the scene where Holden and Tench are in the bar with um, the two other police officers. Yes. And Holden starts getting mouthy about his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is probably kind of what that scene was like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and he would go to these. I think this is a little bit of a of a clue, too, mm-hmm. because um, it was known that he was an actor and really loved Shakespeare and all yeah. this stuff. So he would go to these places, recite Shakespeare, do skits, and just get hammered. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That I feel like that's a big, big part of it, too. And one of these times when he was a little bit drunk and hanging out at one of these saloons, he was quoted as saying, I killed the best man who ever lived. So, hmm. yeah. Hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> who could he be talking about? Um, so after he died, they, um, they took George's body to Penniman's furniture store, which also functioned as a funeral home. And this is another, I always love like applying, applying ideas from the past to like something modern that I can like compare it to. So this would be like if like Mathis Brothers or Hoffman's was like also a funeral home. So creepy yeah exactly like you're like okay so i'm gonna get a couch and also a casket and like you know it's just it's just it's weird like how you know oh man that's so it's so wild (laughs) um and this this is something that i also think is really funny like because this was so so common back then so like you do in 1903 they embalmed the body and then placed it in the window of the store so that the public could view him and I don't know. Have you ever seen Tombstone? Oh, yeah. I've been to Tombstone. Oh, my gosh. I'm so jealous. It's the coolest. Tombstone is one of my all-time favorite stories ever. I love it. Same. I love it so much. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like, I, <laughs> It's I, so good. It's so good. You guys, if you have not seen Tombstone, you need to do yourself a favor and watch Tombstone because it is like the ultimate tale of justice and friendship. Like, it's so That's good. That's a good way to describe it. Yes, yeah. it is. Like, one of my favorite lines in that whole thing is when... Uh, um, Doc Holliday says, uh, he tells him, well, I don't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like, and then he's like, and that's a hell of a thing for you to say to me. Yep. Oh, I love it. So good. So good. I got chills too. I know. I'm going to have to watch it now. So, um, so anyway, the reason I bring up Tombstone is because there's a scene in there where I believe they lay up the cowboys' bodies and the gang is called the cowboys. I'm not just saying like cowboys, like random cowboys, but these gang members of the cowboys are in the caskets, like in the coffins stood up so that people can come by and look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during this time of this public viewing that a lot of people who were walking by this window began to say, Hey, you know who he looks like? Mm-hmm. And so everybody, I think there was a picture taken of the corpse and compared to pictures that had been circulated of John Wilkes Booth. Because even though like this was at a time where there wasn't social media or, you mm-hmm. know, all of this stuff, you have to remember that this man was famous. Oh, yeah. So yeah. people knew what he looked like. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, he shot someone and then his picture slowly circulated. He was like known. People yeah. had seen his photo. Yeah. Long before Long he before. ever. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good point. Yeah. So people are like, you know, he, he kind of looks like John Wilkes Booth. Um, and it turned out when they like when they were doing the embalming and all that stuff, it turned out that David George, David E. George had also broken his ankle, just like Booth. Although it is believed that Booth broke his left ankle while George had broken his right. 
Um, and also according to a story done by Abigail Ogle, George had a scar on the back of his neck that was identical to a scar that Booth had gotten during a performance on stage when an accident happened with a sword. Yeah. And the body that was found, that was recovered from the barn, Mm -hmm. the person who was shot and burned in the barn did not have that scar. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love like, these compelling details yeah, that like makes make it make it makes it like gray where you're like, I don't mm-hmm. know, like this might yep. be true. Um so anyway, uh people started started to lose interest, you know, like the other stories took over the news and um they they were kind of stopped like not talking about it as much anymore. And then right around that time, a man named Finnis L. Bates from Mississippi from Memphis, Tennessee showed up. And he identified George as someone he knew very well, an old friend named John St. Helen. So Bates had worked as a lawyer in Texas when he met John St. Helen as a client in the early 1870s. And they knew each other for about five years. Um, They became friends and St. Helen became gravely ill. And when he was gravely ill, and I'm I'm assuming he was thinking he was going to die, he confessed to Bates that he was, in fact, John Wilkes Booth. Um... However, he ended up recovering after he had made this admission. And some people speculate that that was when he fled to Enid because he was like, well, I'm alive now and I've shared my secret. So I need to go somewhere where no one knows me and start over. Yeah. And um, after he recovered, he gave an account of his life as Booth to Bates. And it was alarming in its accuracy of detail. And some of the information was later found to be inaccurate. But St. Helen got a lot of it right in ways that only someone who knew the inside story could. So that's another detail that's like, you're like, man, oh right. my and gosh. So at this point, this corpse has been three men. Mm-hmm. Right. Three names. So yeah. Maybe may aliases, yeah. but. Yeah. Oh this, yeah. This one body has, has three names. It's interesting that um, they're the, they're both John. Right. Didn't get too creative. With yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're like, makes it a little less confusing for this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, uh, let's see. And Bates, this is, this is another thing that is so, like, so typical of this time period that I love. Um, him being a good businessman, he knew what to do with this body that had just been turned over to him. He began to lease it to different groups of people for limited amounts of time. Like, basically, like, you rent out a carpet cleaner at Walmart. Like, you know. That's you, so bizarre to it think is. about. It is. Imagine just going somewhere and renting a body. Right. Yeah. What? Like, and then, and then on top of that, a famous body. Yeah, a famous body. Like. To have at, like, your kid's birthday party? Yeah, basically. Basically. What? Yeah, pretty much. Because, like, we're, and now we're back to what happened to Omer McCurdy. We've got another guy who has become a sideshow mummy. Like, regardless of who this guy really was, he became a sideshow mummy. And um, John St. Helen or John Wilkes Booth went on to be part of the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. And that was probably the most prestigious location that this mummy saw. Um, He went on to be a display at various carnivals and sideshows throughout the states. And during one of the shipments to one of these locations, he was being shipped to California on a train in 1920. The train wrecked and the mummy was stolen. And then it, it isn't it isn't specified how Bates did this, but he recovered the remains of his friend. And I think he kept them until his death. I'm not sure if he continued to rent them out or anything like that. But his widow then after um, after Bates died, his widow sold the mummy. And I I tried to imagine this like 
Your husband has his dead friend that he rents out to people and then you're left with it when he dies. I mean, it's completely outrageous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's ridiculous to think about. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's it's so, it's wild. Yeah, like, and then what do you do with this? Yeah, you're like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to have an estate sale and like get rid of this guy right here. That's, oh, it's so, it's so wild. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like this is like something that occurs over and over in American history that I look into, um, which I guess I look into some pretty weird American history probably, (laughs) but yeah, same, but it's like Elmer McCurdy, you know, he ended up, uh, being in a fun house for, I don't know, 20 years or something like people. It's kind of sad. It is sad. It is sad because it's like, it's a human being and nobody even knows that it's a real human being. Mm -hmm. Like they're like. That's a... It's a prop. Prop. Yeah. And then somebody, like, yanks on his arm and it comes off and it's like, that's not plastic in there. That looks like human tissue. But Yeah. So we have a a very uh, big history of selling human remains for fun and profit in America, which I find very (laughs) interesting. I wonder if that happens in other... If that, like, kind of thing was going on in other countries at the time or if this was just, like, a Wild West thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Anybody, if anybody can tell us, please do. Like, yeah. that, that's super interesting to me. So Guy Logsdon, in his article for the Oklahoma Historical Society, makes a good point. This mummy is probably now in someone's attic or basement, and they don't even know it. I hate that fact. Yeah. That creeps me out to no yeah. end. Yeah. And, like, you don't know. I mean, like, it might not be whole. Like, it might right. just be, like, some parts are here, some parts are there. Like, it's really... I mean, I, nobody knows where he is. That's, I mean, I think that adds to the mystery. Oh, yeah. It's so yeah. creepy and weird. Yeah. Oh, I definitely. That, that If this is John Wilkes Booth and his body's just somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so, it's so weird. And Everyone one of the, check your attics and basements. Yes. Check your attics and basements for John Wilkes Booth because he might be up there if you live in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Especially in Enid. It might, might be there. Um and one of the things about this that I thought was interesting, and I forgot to put this in the outline, but I'm remembering this detail right now, is that the Sergeant Corbett that shot Booth, I'm trying to find his name, I believe it was Corbett, um, he is actually buried in Enid. I did not know that. I'm pretty sure it's Enid. I think it's, I know it's Oklahoma, but I'm pretty sure it's Enid, which is weird. Wow, because... That yeah. was in Virginia. Yeah. I wanna, I'm want i going to look that up really quick and make sure I'm right about that. But I think that because it was like a weird fact that it was at the end of the... the a super coincidence. Yeah. Let's see. Sergeant Corbett Enid. Maybe if I could spell it would be better. Oh, uh, let's see. Hmm... Um, Okay, I can't, I can't find it right now, but I'm pretty sure that's true. And if it's wrong, somebody please correct me. But I think I read that on the Oklahoma Historical website. Um, but yeah, so it's very, the whole thing is just like such a fascinating story. And one of the things that I wanted to get into with all of this was our, there's this kind of, um, not really an obsession, but this propensity that we have to make it seem like someone is not dead who is dead Mm -hmm. like this inability to let go kind of and i've heard of this so many times like someone famous or infamous dies and immediately there's speculation about whether or not this person is really dead and if there was a body if there was a body double if there was um if they escaped unscathed and lived out the rest of their days somewhere else um, and the very first person that came to mind when I thought about this is Elvis Presley. Mm, I think of Elvis and Jim Morrison from the yes, doors. Yes. Oh. He, Jim's supposedly in India. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, you know, he was all into the... Yeah, yeah, the yeah. poetry and yeah. the existential stuff. Yeah, he supposedly ran away to India. His wife was the only person who saw his body. And, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. See, see, it happens, like, all the all time. All the time. Yeah. With famous people. Yeah, with famous people. And John yeah. Fox Booth. Yeah. He's famous. And so, um, some of the younger listeners might not be familiar with one of the best pieces of journalism available to my grade school slash middle school self, and that was the Weekly World News. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, if you do not know from me saying the words Weekly World News, if you don't see Bat Boy in your Bat mind. Boy. Bat Boy. Oh, yeah. You are missing out. Like, <laughs> Google that. <laughs> yeah. Google Google Bat Boy. Like, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> Um, so I, I don't go to Walmart as much as, uh, as much as I used to, cause I try to avoid it cause it stresses me out. It's the worst. It is, it is the worst. <laughs> it's such a horrible experience. <laughs> like, um, so I don't know if they still have it at the registers, but, um, this was one of my favorite things to hassle my mother into buying for me as a teenager. I would look through it really, really quick before oh, yeah. my parents could see me looking at it oh, and yeah. put it back. Yeah. Like look at all the psychic ads yeah. and like oh, all yeah. that stuff and all the stories and like, oh, it was so great. Um, they had the out- most outrageous headlines, like reptilian stuff, ads for psychic hotlines, all that jazz. And one of their favorite go-to stories was Elvis Presley sightings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was an issue of Weekly World News from July 23rd, 1991, that cataloged a rash of new Elvis sightings. So these are happening, like, they're still happening today. But, like, this is a pretty recent coverage that they did of, like, a rash of sightings of him. So I've always thought that was, like... Like, just, a, like, kind of a goofy thing. Yeah. That people see Elvis. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, I met a person, the first person ever in my life. Oh, my gosh. Who was 1,000% certain that Elvis is still alive. That's amazing. I could, at first I thought they were joking. Yeah. But then they kept talking, and they were, I mean. Oh, my gosh. Very convinced. Had they had a sighting? They had not had a okay. sighting. And so I was like, what makes you think? But they were just. Like evidence. Uh, and Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. like. I mean, so into it. I, oh I was gosh, like, I want to so laugh, but at the same time, like, yeah. wow, you're really you're convinced. convinced. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is so fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Like that. Oh, man. Um, so this, like Elvis being alive is so, such a thing in American culture that there was even a 1990, 1990 video game called Less Manly in Search for the King, where the object of the video game was to find Elvis. Um, and that is like... It's so fascinating to me. And one of the um, first pieces of evidence that someone came up with for this, like, thought, this conspiracy or this thought or whatever, was they saw someone who looked like Elvis checking in at an airline with the name John Burroughs, which is the name that Elvis would use when he was traveling. I don't think I knew that. That is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, like, they saw someone who they thought looked like him and that he used that name and they knew about that. I don't know. My dad likes to sign stuff Jimi Hendrix and stuff. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of one time um, I know somebody, um, I won't identify them because this is pretty, pretty awful, but. um, (laughs) I can't wait. One time they're in this one particular small town. um, There was a person that was going around. I don't think it was a serial killer. I don't think it was that serious, but there was some serial crime going on and they knew the person's name that they were hunting for. And this person that I know signed that person's name in a guest book somewhere that they went. (gasps) Oh no. (laughs) Just like really throw them off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. But yeah. So, I mean, and I think that, I think in a case like this, like 
people are reaching for something because they don't want to believe the truth because it's so unfortunate and ugly and tragic. And Elvis Presley was larger than life, like just this larger than life figure. And to know that a fate as small as what happened to him could befall someone like him. I think it kind of, it messes with us. Right. Well, people can't cope with that grief. People right. were obsessed in love mm-hmm. with him. And yeah. So, yeah, people can't cope with it. Watch some videos of people freaking out. Screaming and bawling. I mean, same yeah. with the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. sobbing. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I mean, it is like, it, it's serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, and I think it's it's a lot more pleasant to imagine that he's on a beach somewhere going by John Burroughs and drinking margaritas and getting fatter. That's way more fun to oh, think yeah. about. I, yeah. I like that. I like that image. image. I hope Elvis, if you're listening, I, and I hope you are like, I hope you're on a beach. Elvis, somewhere. I hope you're drinking margaritas and Jim Morrison. I hope that you've reached Nirvana. Yes. In, in oh, I, I yeah. hope, I hope so too. Um, and then this is a much less fun version of this, uh, and a lot darker version, but a recent account of this that I saw was about Jeffrey Epstein. Ooh. Yeah. And so when his death happened, almost immediately, my newsfeed was full of conspiracy Conspiracies. theories. Oh, yeah. All over. Oh, all over. Like, I mean, it was like, it was immediate. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, even like mainstream news outlets oh, yeah. were going for the conspiracy theories. Like, it was, it was pretty, it was very interesting. And um, I saw one of the biggest, one of the, like, things that stands out in my mind about it was someone had made a post where the claim they were making was that... Um, a picture taken of, quote, Epstein's body on the slab, the shape of his inner ear did not match a picture of his ear that had been taken when he was alive. Wow, that's oddly specific. Right, right. Yeah, it was. And I looked at it and I'm like, they don't match. You're right. But I'm like, I'm also still like skeptical about this. But I I get it. Like, I get it because in a case like this, he was a monster and he was probably one of the most evil people in recent history and the fact that he had access to billions of dollars gave him the freedom to do horrible horrible things absolutely and get away with it and i think that on the flip side of the elvis thing is you know we wanted him to pay for this right like and so to think that he opted out on his own terms is very it's a very much a slap in the face to the justice system right and we want justice exactly like we crave that yeah yeah and so for him to for him to just commit suicide and not have to face those crimes beyond spending however many days he did in jail is very disheartening. Right. You know, it's very like we want to we want to burn him out the stake. Kind yeah. Of yeah, thing. yeah. 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 Like we want to see him be prosecuted for this and serve time suffer. and suffer. Yeah. Like like he made children suffer like this exactly. is exactly, you know, yeah. It's, and so it's it's very I totally get where the desire for him to still be alive is Mm -hmm. because if he's still alive, something can still happen to him. Sure. And conspiracies, I mean, regardless whether it's someone we love or someone we Mm -hmm. hate, it's just exciting to buy into. Oh yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. It's so much more fun. What what did they say about the fiction is truth is stranger than fiction. Truth is stranger than fiction, but, Mm -hmm. but fiction is, can be more exciting. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I completely, completely agree with that. Cause it's, I mean, like I tell stories, like that's right. what I do. And like the more outlandish it is, the more fun it is. Like it's, it's not, I don't know. It's, uh, I recently talked to someone who was telling me about, um, a friend of theirs who kind of got in deep with like the Bigfoot community 
and he was not a believer, but the people he was around were believers. And he, um, his friend asked him finally, he was like, so what's the deal? Do you believe? And he was like, he said, I don't believe, but I believe that they believe. And that's infinitely more fascinating to me. I love that. That I is, love it that so is a hundred percent true. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's fun to buy into that. Oh yeah. Stuff. It's yeah. so fun. Mm-hmm. So fun. And it's so interesting. Like with the, the Bigfoot stuff, I think one of the most interesting things I've ever heard was um, from a Native American gentleman who uh, was in the documentary that Bryce made. And he was talking about how in one um, dialect, the word is for Bigfoot also means forget. And his the thing about it, yes, because the thing about it was most people who had seen Bigfoot had some trauma in their life. And it was like, if they could focus on Bigfoot, then they didn't have to focus on this the trauma yes that's, isn't that fascinating as a therapist yes that, that truly fascinates oh, yeah. me yeah because mm. i mean i could totally see i can totally see the logic there sure like, like that was that was wow really that fascinating. spins it totally differently for me yeah because he was like because wow. the word it means forget and so it's like they have yeah. something they need to forget and so they see this creature and like mm-hmm. and it's also i think that also part of it was not necessarily that um they're not seeing something but i think it was more along the lines of like Maybe Bigfoot is a supernatural being that's like yeah, helping them. That helps them cope. Yes. I mean, I would love to believe that. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What a nice creature. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The gentle giant of the forest. Yeah. So I mean, that that like this whole thing is so fascinating to me. And I'm so glad that you brought me this article and like that we got to talk about it. Um and so having heard all of that, what do you think? Okay, so I, I think it came across a little bit in, in my interjections, but I want to believe that John Wilkes Booth died in Enid. Yeah. Being, Enid being my hometown makes it a little more, like, exciting for yeah. me. But I just, I love that story. It's so great. I love the nuances of mm-hmm. the the scar on the neck. Oh, and yeah. yeah. Him, him making the deathbed confession that, oh, actually, I am John Wilkes Booth. And then saying, oh, I'm actually better. And fleeing. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's exciting. I mean, it is. It's outlandish, but the whole thing is outlandish. Yeah. He killed the president he of the United States. He was a famous States. actor who yeah. killed the president of the United States. And, like, it's completely outrageous. He would be the perfect type of person to disappear. Right. Like, he was an actor. He was skilled in, you know, disguising himself and acting like someone else. And, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Like, and I want to believe, too. Like, I that's how it. I feel about it. Yeah, so like, I'm I, just going to tell people that. Yeah, I'm just going to tell. This is fact, guys. This okay, is fact. this is new history. Yeah, everyone just spread the word. Yeah. So, like, when you get to the John Wilkes Booth portion of teaching your students, any teachers that are out there, just tell them. John Wilkes Booth died in Enid. Perfect. The end. Like, official. It's from Irioki. Yeah. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> yeah. So, is there anything that you want to plug or anything that you want to say before we get off of here? I think this is really great that we've covered John Wilkes Booth, um, Elvis, Jeffrey Epstein, and Bigfoot all yes, in one episode. We did. Like, we got so much. What a wild ride. We did like an urban legend. We did true crime. We did history. history and we did uh, a cryptid. Yeah. All in one. So, I think that's a first. We're just checking off the, the yes. creepy stuff on yes. here. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't really have any anything super crazy to plug. My personal Instagram is... Uh, very professional. It's Chanimal. I love it so much. <laughs> that was my nickname in college. I so. love it. Chanimal with two underscores after it. The one underscore was taken, so I have to have oh, two. Chanimal man. with two underscores. And then I do have a professional um, 
page for my, um, my therapist page, I guess. And you can find that, um, on Instagram or Facebook. It's Chandler Yarbrough LPC dash C. Um, I need to follow that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So if, if, I mean, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I I do, um, I do telecommunication services. So you don't even have to be in town. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, if, yeah, I, I do that a lot. So yeah. Sweet. That's, that's awesome. Um, so we're actually recording this on a very special day. It is Friday the 13th today, but when this airs, it will be Friday the 20th. And what that means is that tonight I will be doing a live mini episode at the Oklahoma Scenic and Historic Art Show that's being put on by Jesse Edgar. Whitney's going to be doing that with me and it's going to be maybe 15 minutes of us doing some spooky stories. Hopefully, um, I'm not sure yet exactly what they will be. We'll do some fun historic facts and answering some questions live. So you'll also have the opportunity to talk with me at the show. And um, all of the artists that are going to be there are going to give away an item each. So there will be an Irioki t-shirt in the giveaway. So yeah, so, so that'll cool. be yeah, that'll be super fun. So I hope to see some of you guys there. Um, and stay tuned for that news about that romance novel that I talked about. Like I'm still I'm working on getting everything worked out to get it published. Dying to so, read it. I'm so excited about if it. If you haven't read Marnie's um, Irioki shorts yet, wow! I oh mean, my gosh! Thank you. Eat them up because you can. Eat, I mean, they're they're small, so yeah. you can read them quickly. I oh, yeah. just devoured them thank you so much that makes me feel so good oh my gosh yeah so that's all i've got for you guys and chandler i'm so glad we got to meet this was wonderful i had so much fun um y'all stay spooky